Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, I'm Steph and I'm Simon and welcome to the Food Fight where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode we're talking with Bill Holden from the Marine Stewardship Council about all aspects of seafood sustainability. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Food Fight Podcast. My name's Steph Postuma. I'm your host, alongside my co-host, the Welshman Simon Evans. <laughs> G'day. And to start our podcast, we would like to do an acknowledgement of country. Uh, we would like to acknowledge the people of the Darawal Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather and speak today, and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. And today we find ourselves here at the headquarters of the Marine Stewardship Council here in Cronulla with our guest, Bill Holden. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Good morning. How are you guys today? <laughs> Good. Not too bad. Um, mate, we've got to start off by finding out a bit about you and about who you are. Like, what's your position at MSC? What do you do here? Oh, yeah, well, my job title is really long. I don't even remember it, but uh, basically <laughs> I, uh, I, I do fisheries outreach and I, I, I'm more of a global person and I specialize with tuna fisheries. So uh, I work with tuna fishermen in the Pacific uh, and I oversee a few guys that are helping me in different, different oceans in the Eastern Pacific, the Indian Ocean, the Atlantic. Um, so, yeah, I work with but tuna fisheries and then fisheries that want to get certified the MSC, uh, Marine Stewardship Council, MSC, mm. uh, we're kind of, uh, you know, we, we specialize. We have different departments. Uh, we're, so we're, I do fisheries outreach. Uh, we have commercial outreach people. We have a, a whole, uh, what we call the ivory tower of our standards people. And they're the one that look at, make sure that everything's black and white with the MSC standard. Uh, and as, as fisheries outreach, I'm more in the gray areas and just kind of work with the fishermen and uh, being an ex-fisherman myself, it's, uh, it's quite easy and I get along well with them. I like mm. hanging out in a pub. Yeah, cool. Well, that's a good job. Let's, <laughs> start, let's start there because obviously we've got plenty of time to talk about MSC and stuff and what they do, but tell us about your history as a tuna fisherman and stuff. Were you always a fisherman? Yeah, so I grew up in San Diego, California. Uh, good old, I'm a Yankee, yeah. once upon a time, now an Aussie. Um, <laughs> And uh, I started fishing there, uh, just uh, bait fishing, and then uh, went to university. And out, outside of university, I joined something called the Peace Corps. And it's a volunteer organization. And they sent me to the Kingdom of Tonga. And, and, you know, at that time, that was back in 84. And at that time, I'm like, Tonga? I'm like, Where's Tonga? <laughs> and, uh, and we didn't have the internet back in 84. <laughs> so I pulled out an atlas and I uh, saw it was an island in the Pacific. And I thought, oh, you beauty. I got to have surfing and, and fishing going on. So yeah. I went there for a two-year stint and ended up staying uh, 25, 26 years or so. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so I, I picked up the language straight away and uh, just started fishing with guys. And after, after my, my volunteer time, um, I worked for fisheries for a couple of years. And, and then I started my own fishing company and uh, started snapper fishing and then tuna longlining. Um, I was quite successful, so successful that mm. I went from being a fisherman to being a businessman with like 80 odd employees and seven wow. boats. and. I didn't like it at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got in it just to be on the boat and go fishing exactly. and instead you were stuck yeah. in the office. Exactly. And, uh, and then, uh, so I was out fishing actually in, in 2009 and uh, 2008 and I was looking through an Islands Business magazine and there was an advert for a, a job with the Marine Stewardship Council. So I um, came in to shore, wrote a letter, put in my application 
and uh, six months later, I got the job. Yeah, right. So I started, um, yeah, went from tuna fishing to uh, working for the MSC. I, I figured, hey, you know, I mean, I could see what was happening on the water. Um, mm. And no matter what I did, I wasn't really going to make that much of a difference. But I think with the MSC, I do make a difference. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What, um, was sustainability something that you wanted to practice while you were a fisherman in Tonga like how did you how did that journey sort of develop yeah you know it's uh like when you start out like anybody when you're a kid you don't really have much of a brain and and a teenager and and (laughs) and stuff and and so you're just doing whatever you're being told to do but I could just see I could see the way that I practiced fishing versus the way other people did and I'm and, and I could you know some fishermen you have good years you have bad years good good or bad seasons but I could see some of the stuff that was being done, and I did a lot of reading, you know, um, and I could see this, some of the stuff that I, even I was doing you know, this wasn't the right thing to be doing. And so, uh, yeah, you know, I actually looked into the MSC for our snapper fishery in Tonga, and that's, that's how I first found out about, you know, got clued into, oh, well, you know, there's, you look at the management, you look at everything else, it's just not, you know, is there more fish or less fish of what I'm trying to catch? So you, you look at everything. You look at all the other fish that are being caught with it, any uh, impact you're having on the environment as well, um, as well as the management. And that's, you know, so when I, I came into MSC, I had a good idea of, uh, you know, of what I saw. And so MSC's values and my values, we really, you know, they mesh together. Mm. So I was quite, uh, it, was, it was a no-brainer for me, really. So would that would... Those sustainable practices, that just something that fishermen or fishermen aren't aware of or just wouldn't be made aware of, um, just just in doing their day-to-day kind of business. So something you need to search out. Yeah, so th- there's there's two aspects. So yeah, awareness definitely is one thing, but also um, particularly, like, you know, I lived in Tonga for 25 years, and it's it's not only it's awareness, but it's like it's my it's their day-to-day life. You know, mm. it, you know they're fishing to catch food. Mm. Um, and so sustainability is like an afterthought. You yeah. know? It's like I gotta, you know, I'm going to go out on the reef and I'm going to take all the shellfish that are closest to my house because it's quick and easy and closest yeah. to my house. Um, and so you're thinking I've got to, you know, and I guess when the populations were small, you could do that because mm-hmm. the, 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 the fish or the, sea, the seafood had time to replenish. But as populations grow and you, you'd see in the capital cities that you couldn't just go out to the reef and catch fish anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I think in the back of your mind, you're thinking, yeah, I'm aware that uh, this is not the right thing to be doing. But at the same time, you're thinking, well, you know, I got to, I got to eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess if it's uh, a lot of people thinking the same thing of it's not making that much of a difference that I'm doing it, but as soon as you have millions of people doing that, it makes a difference. Yeah, I, it does. And, and so, I mean, of course, that's a Pacific Island experience. It, when you mm. when you come into a, a, a say a Western world or a developed world you know, like Australia, and you have rules in place and laws in place, um, well, then you know it's then that's when you have the management side of things comes in to help manage. The fact that you just don't go on, you know, that's why you have um, quotas. That's why you have um, limits on how much, you know, how many cockles you can take off the beach and stuff mm-hmm. and, and how many fish you can spear, uh, you know. And that's, I guess, why you have government to, to put those those laws in place. Otherwise, people have a tendency just to go and get the, the quickest, the slowest fish out in the water. Yeah. Let's talk about the Marine Stewardship Council. Um, we want to get a bit of an overview of you know what the organization is and some of the activities and programs that are involved so do you want to just give us a brief overview of what it's here for what you guys do yeah so the marine stewardship council we're we're a standard setter uh, so we're we're not for profit but we are a standard setter and our standard is used to assess the sustainability of fisheries we have two standards we have a fishery standard and we also have a chain of custody standard so that you can be assured that the fish, if you're buying from a sustainable or MSC certified fishery, the chain of custody standard says that everybody in that supply chain um, also follows certain rules and you know separation, segregation, mm-hmm. identification, documentation, whatever, to get it to to the consumer. But so what the MSC, it's, we started, uh, it was first thought of, I guess, in, in 1997. Um, and then it took a couple years of consultation and, and stakeholder um uh, meetings and, and whatnot 
and it uh, it developed into the standard to to assess the sustainability of fisheries and, and by this and so we, we we're based on three principles one the sustainability of the stock that you're that you're targeting um, two is the your impacts on the environment and the third principle is the management system that runs uh, runs that fishery both the general governance and also any any um, fishery specific uh, management uh, regulations I guess um, and what that so what that does is uh, basically you're you're recognizing and you're rewarding fisheries for doing the right thing um, for for being sustainable and you know what I term as sustainable is that basically you can fish today tomorrow and forever mm. uh, so you only take out what you need um, and you and you, you you ensure that not only am I going to be able to fish but my son's going to be able to fish my grandchildren are going to be able to fish uh, and uh, to me that is that's that's sustainability and yeah. I think that's you know when when the world wasn't so populated that was an easy thing to do mm. but as as you know we become more developed and, and fishing techniques become more efficient uh it's it's there, there there's a requirement to have these standards in place so that you know and to assess fisheries against the sustainability of um can, can we keep fishing and we've seen fisheries on the brink and come back you know but and there's some some good some good news stories out there, but mm. there's also, you know, there's still, um, some places there's still the wild west, you know, and people are just going, you know, hell for leather. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, when there's money involved, people always do that. Um, so maybe let's go into, I think something across all boards is sustainability and sustainable. You just get, just gets used as a, as a, as a term. Um, and for chefs and consumers, um, don't ever go too, detailed into what these terms mean so maybe if you want to go through some of the things that would be bad practices some of the good practices some things that you you look at um to to deem whether a, a fishery is is sustainable or not yeah okay so with the msc we uh actually we don't differentiate between fishing gears or our mm-hmm. fishing practices the only thing is um explosives and poisons so if you're you know uh, or of course marine mammals but um but explosives and, and poisons if you're using those fishing methods you you wouldn't even be within scope of, of trying to get certified yeah. but we don't differentiate between what type of gear because every fishery has their own gear their own sets of issues um and so we what we've had to do is create a standard that is global mm. that can be applied to all fisheries um and and that's the that's the difficulty and, and when the msc first started 20 23 years ago, there was no such thing as, as a standard to compare fisheries against. Mm. So we've created, well, no, so the MSC has a standard which is, uh, you know, able to be applied globally um, to assess the sustainability of fisheries. So we don't look at gears. Okay. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, some people say ban this or no, no, no super trawlers or this. You know, mm. we don't do that. That's, I mean, because that's something that you generally find is trawling bad line caught good and that's about as much as as me as a chef gets um, a lot of time um so with the msc in the cases that it's more about other peripheral issues rather than those those methods of catching yeah it, it's it's more okay first is is that is the stock that you're catching is it healthy yeah you know um is it healthy and the way you're catching it what's your impact on the environment mm. so if it's bottom trawling what's your impact on the on the on the ocean floor uh, if it's uh, using uh, you know, fads is another one uh, fish aggregating devices for tuna fishing uh, they, they really you know Greenpeace used to run a campaign ban the fads yeah. without really knowing what they were banning yeah yeah um, but it's because of the bycatch that's being caught and also you know 10 years ago fads the design of fads were such that there was a lot of entanglement issues like with turtles and, and whatnot um, where they've really improved on stuff like that and that, and that's something else with our standard is that what, what it, we say at the MSC is that you know we're not making science, but we're like uh, just behind the crest of the wave. Mm. So we follow the best science. So our standard is always evolving. We, we, every every five years we do a, a review of our standard, which involves stakeholders. 
And so with this, we look at the latest science and, and we go with what, what is the best practice. Mm. Uh, and that way, because, and you know, some people say, oh, you're raising the bar, you're raising the bar. No, we, we, we know more. The yeah. more information you have, the better the science is. The bar's then, evolving. Exactly. Mm. You, you can't stand, so you can't like, you know, build a standard, build it in stone. You know, it's yeah. not the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> so... When it comes to the fisheries that are assessed, like how, how are those fisheries selected? Does the MSC sort of basically use the science available globally to assess all fisheries? Yeah, so this is actually a voluntary program. It's a market-based program. Right. So it's, it's the, the consumers. Well, we say it's the consumers, but if you, if you come down to it, it's, you know, it's the Coles, the Woolies, the Aldis. It's, it's them thinking, I've... You know, everybody wants me to be seen to be green, yeah. type of thing. And so, you know, they're they're we by purchasing fish from a MSC certified fishery. You know, they they're taking off that box for themselves for their their corporate social responsibility. Mm. Um, and it's so we're it's a voluntary program. It's market based. Uh, fisheries come to us. And what we, what you see with the MSC um, or what you see with fisheries coming into the program. Uh, is initially maybe their market has asked them, uh, you know, can you guys, we need you to be assessed, and you know, we need to see how sustainable you are. A good way to do that is to get MSC certified. Mm. Uh, and then the initial people that do that, you actually, they, they get a premium. You know, they get market access or they get a, a, a price premium for this. Um, but then it becomes, you know, the next the next fishery down the road is going well why aren't you buying my fish anymore well yeah, you know okay. can you prove you're sustainable oh shit okay yeah all right i gotta do this <laughs> yeah um and so and by by the market um recognizing the the sustainability of a fishery and it's it's our theory of change that you get you get some people to that are assessed and and they're proven to be sustainable and then you know the markets are going well I know you guys are like next door neighbors. Your fishery is probably sustainable as well, but you know you you kind of got to prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so it's volunteer. It's voluntary, but it's also it's a cycle of I guess you know once somebody's in it, everybody else has got to get on the road yeah. too. Mm. We said this before with other issues. It's it's very much we said it's kind of market driven, consumer driven. As soon as a consumer demands that their products are certified, then you know, the big shops get on it and that, that has a trickle down and trickle across yep. effect. Um, and it is very much when, when there's more awareness about it um, and consumers demand it, everything else will follow eventually, you, you hope. Yeah, and that, that is, that's, our, that's the way we, we, like I said, we call it our theory of change. You know, when mm. you know, one fishery comes in and they're proving this and the, peop- and the market demand is there, um, then others come along and you know, even if, if fisheries don't get MSC certified, uh, it just raises the performance uh, and it raises the awareness, mm. so that people are more aware of sustainability. Um, and I think that's that's important, even if you're not MSC certified, to be aware of of what you're doing, the impact you're having, mm. um, and not like I said not only on the fish you have, but you know what other impacts you have, you know. You know, 20, 30 years ago, people used to throw rubbish in the ocean like it was nothing. You know? mm. And mm. now people think twice. You know, used to, and when I was a teenager, a deckhand on a boat, you know, you change the oil out at sea, you just dump the oil in the ocean. You know? yeah, yeah. Now you bring it on shore and somebody dumps it somewhere else. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Small changes. <laughs> you can't fight everything. Once on land, it's past your, uh, your responsibility. Uh, how, um... I'm trying to think of which of the two questions I have in my head I'll ask first. <laughs> um, I want to talk about seafood sustainability in general because you said something really interesting before, which was that you can fish, your children can fish, and future generations can fish forever. And there may be a misconception out there that seafood can be a perpetually sustainable industry that the wild caught seafood can be perpetually sustainable indefinitely um people sort of think it's a extraction of a uh, wild resource how can how can this be something that is viable f- you know f- far down yeah. the track into the future so w- like what is it can you explain to us what is it about fish and about fisheries that 
allow themselves to sort of replenish and restock because as you said we've had cases of fisheries that have been pushed to the brink and using proper management practices proper you know sustainability practices and things like that have come back and have allowed us to have a, a sustainable fishery in that instance so what is it about fish and seafood and how does that work yeah well it's i mean fish you have to understand because fish is it's not like uh, a forest where you can count the trees mm. so you can't count all the fish so scientists make their best guesstimate of how much fish are down there and what you know so what the way that when you do stock assessments and you're trying to see basically how much the you know how much fish are there what's the biomass that's left and they they generally say that you you know you don't want to take it down too low to a level where the fish can't reproduce um, fast enough to keep up with the fishery but you can fish to a certain level uh, so that it um, you know the, the fish are able to reproduce and maintain the the, the fishery that's working on that, that uh, you know, that, that's catching those fish. Uh, it's it's kind of, and, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a best estimate. So the more data, the more information you have, that, that, and, you know, there's so many fishery scientists that are just trying to figure out how much fish are down there. Mm. Um, and there's other, you know, and it's not only the fishery impacts, you know, there's, if you're it's, if it's an inshore fishery there could be impacts from runoff from from the rivers uh climate change boy that's that's really changing the way we're seeing that happening in the northeast atlantic um where some of the mackerel the herring fisheries are now you know there's countries over there that have quotas um but now the the fisher have moved further north to countries that never fished it before, and they're going, you beauty, we look at all the fish we've got now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, you, you, that's not your quota. Yeah, it's wow. in our water. What do we do? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, it, the, the, you know, and I think probably like with tuna fisheries in the Pacific, um, you're, we're going to see that as well. You know, it's, you know, it's a 20, 30, 40, 50 year time span, but we're going to see, um, and we'll see it along the east coast of Australia as well. We'll see, we'll see you know, the, the range of, of where species are, yeah. are being caught, are, are available to be caught, or just where they're, they're living is, is going to change. Um, so, yeah, so the sustainability, you've got all those factors, not just the fishery. You know, you've, you've got you've to consider the whole environment. Mm. And um, is it going to be, you know, and, and that's the, the role of, of managers. And, um, you know, here in Australia, the, you know, AFMA, the Australia Fisheries Management Authority, you know, I think you know they they've managed the Commonwealth fisheries, and I think they do a great job. You know, I'd, I'd give them a shout out because they 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 actually are looking after the 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 Commonwealth. You know, up to the the, the EZ or the two hundred mile zone of, of Australia, mm. they do a good job of of managing that, and um, and they plan for all these contingencies. Mm. You know, how much fish can we take? What yeah. is going to happen with climate change? Um, what ha- you know? What do we have any IUU, you know, illegal, unreported, or unregulated fishing happening in our waters? Uh, so there's a lot of lot of factors, I guess, to mm. to weigh in, not just the fishing. I guess mm. it's um, probably good to kind of point out, and food you always say that um, you're always staying on the data, and it's a, it's a constantly changing thing. Um, that I guess that it's always going to be. Um, adjusting these levels of stocks and what you can take and it's going to be something that just, does just change as as other things change and then it's more about keeping on top of the data than setting hard and fast rules that are going to see us through you know, y- years to come. Yeah, well, that, that goes back to, you know, it's not set in stone. So as the, as the, the science gets better, uh, as you get more information and more data, uh, then of course the the rules and the regulations are going to change. I, I you know, and there's I mean there's countless and, and technology. Technology is improving the way that that data is is mm-hmm. is is gathered. I guess and, and you know what you're able to see down underneath the ocean. And maybe one day it will be the it, but like counting the trees in the forest. You can <laughs> count the fish. Yeah. Um, and then we'll, we'll have more of a spot on. But you, you also have to look at you know what was what was the fish population before anybody started fishing? Yeah. Mm. You know, and, and, and so we know that, okay, it's not going to be a virgin population anymore, but you know, can you fish it at a level that it's, it can still maintain itself and be sustainable? I mean, fish is not the only protein in the world and, and wild caught fish. Um, well, I love it, but it's, uh, it's not, it's not going to feed 
the entire globe. Mm. So there's other sources, but it, I think it contributes to, you know, if, if fisheries are well managed and are sustainable, they'll contribute to our uh, source of food for us forever. Yeah. Mm. How does Australia, so in terms of like the number of fisheries we have in Australia, how, like, do you, do you know how many or approximately how many are MSC certified or have come forward? Oh, I, the number of them, I don't, there's Commonwealth fisheries, there's a lot in, in WA, um, there's none here in New South Wales, but it's, it's would be over 40% of the, of the volume of, of fish caught in Australia is MSC certified. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't really, I don't have that number. Yeah, um, yeah, that's all right. But that's but, a good. But we, uh, I mean, Australia does does very well. Um, I, you know, again, uh, I mean, one, we're a big country with a small population, mm. uh, and also, uh, you know, and so that just allows the fish to to be, you know, at, at high high health stocks. It's well managed, as I mentioned, AFMA, you know, and also the state um, fisheries uh, departments. You know, they they manage the fisheries well. Um, and you just have to look at some of our neighboring countries. You know, unfortunately, there's much more populated areas to the north of us in Asia, and uh, and their inshore fisheries are just devastated. Yeah. Mm. You know, because it's just the population is just too big, and the management does not exist at a at a local level. Mm. Mm. Um, so, but Australia as a country, I mean, it, it it's it seems on the surface that we we are good here and we have good practices and. Um, it seems like we have access to good seafood. So Australia on the whole is is um, kind of leading the way, or or, or you know, are they, are we middle ground, or how are we looking as a as a country on a worldwide wide scale? I think every country would like to think they're leading the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I I would say definitely we're holding our own mm. in Australia. Um, I we're. I think the amount of regulations we have in place is good. It's not overburdensome. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the EU rules and regulations would be, you know, it's a nightmare. You know, if you're a skipper on a boat, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, right. Uh, you just got, you, you, you switch, you move 10, 10 miles this way, and next thing you know, you're under another regulation, and yeah. you've you basically got to have a volume of books with you to see what you're doing. Um, the United States has very complicated uh, uh, regulations and rules and regulations depending on the state, depending on, on their federal system. Uh, so I think Australia, we're holding our own. We're doing. I think we we've got the right balance yeah. of of management, um, and still allowing uh, the fisheries to be profitable and to be successful. Cool. So I think one thing I want to gain an understanding of is, as people in hospitality, like you know the the marquee fish of the world that everyone wants is bluefin tuna, but. Uh, and we know that there are issues around tuna, say like, and there are a lot of different species of tuna and things like that from a lot of different fisheries all around the world. And so I think that there's a lot of people who know that there's bad stuff and know that there's stuff that you can get that's good as well, but none of it's really clear. What do you do? You say the same thing, Simon? Yeah, I think I think most people would have an idea that there's something. Something's something's not quite right with tuna fishing, there, and and that something needs to be done, but they don't quite know what. Um, but I don't think it really stops people enjoying tuna at a restaurant or buying it um, at a supermarket from a can. So maybe we can delve into tuna and um, and work out what what we need to know as a consumer or as, as a chef. Yeah. So with with tuna, uh, and it's a bit unique compared to other other fisheries because you know. Your snapper fishery is the snapper is only going to be in a range of maybe 50 miles. Uh, your shellfish they're pretty much just going to be right in front of you. Mm-hmm. But with the tuna fisheries, they're um, they swim and they swim long distances. Uh, you brought up the southern bluefin tuna. That is beautiful, um, and that's a, that's actually a good a good news story, I guess, a good story because um, that was a case where before it was properly managed. Uh, the Japanese had been down here, um, basically IUU fishing um, for I don't know how long since they started, I guess, mm. and not reporting what they were catching, and it, it took some investigation, and you could they were in the Japanese market, they were seeing so much more southern bluefin tuna being sold than was, than the fishermen were actually reporting being caught, and so they they set up a, a tuna commission, 
for the southern bluefin tuna because we, they catch it in New Zealand, Australia, so, um, South Africa, Indonesia. It's it's one of these that, that, that just migrates across the southern oceans. And, mm. um, and once they, they started getting the correct data and they put in um, strategies, harvest strategies to, to actually bring down the, the, the catches uh, and manage it and, and they got the correct reporting um, and that stock is rebuilding. Uh, the, the most recent stock assessment now has that stock at, um, you know, up, up above a level that's, I mean, it, it still needs to improve, but it's, it's on the right tra- trajectory. Uh, so that's good. Um, but tuna fisheries in general, so they're all managed by um, what we call, they're called acronyms, RFMOs, but regional fishery management organizations. And there's one in the Western Central Pacific, there's one in the Eastern Pacific, one in the Atlantic, uh, one in the Indian Ocean. And these organizations are basically bodies of governments, of, of, of the governments, so that the governments that fish in, in the area and also distant water fleets, the governments that represent distant water fleets. So for instance, for Australia, we're members uh, of the Indian Ocean Tuna Commission uh, because of WA, and we're also uh, members of the Western Central Pacific Fisheries Commission uh, because of, of the Pacific fisheries. And but they're difficult. They're they're because it's not a it's not a a voting how, type of decision making process. It's a consensus, mm. and because of that, uh, actually, you always reach the lowest common denominator that everybody wants to agree on, mm-hmm. which makes it very difficult. And you have competing interests, uh, like in the Western Central Pacific, you've got the Pacific Island nations, um, which have huge EEZs, even though they're small countries. And so they pretty much, the fish, when it's swimming through their oceans, it's it's their fish. Mm-hmm. Um, same, Australia has our 200 mile zone. But then you have you know countries, the Europeans, you have the, the, the various Asian countries, coming down to fish and so you know they 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 buy rights to to fish but at these uh tuna commissions they've all got to agree how best are we going to manage this tuna uh and that this is why in in different oceans what they don't agree Mm. and and you get the lowest common number like in the indian ocean yellowfin it's overfished and overfishing is still going on and they can't agree on how to rebuild it because of the competing interest. And you've got the, the competing interest of the small island states and the, the Europeans. Um, in the Western Central Pacific, we're actually in, a, in a, a unique position because of all the Pacific islands, they, they have ownership. Uh, you know, the Atlantic doesn't have those islands. The Eastern Pacific doesn't have those islands. Um, and so nobody has ownership. So it's more of a high seas fishery. And it's more difficult to manage when it's on the high seas because nobody, it's, it's basically winner takes all type of thing. And nobody wants to come to an agreement. Um, so we have different stocks. I mean, you have to look at the, 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 the main commercial stocks uh, that you would be eating at a restaurant. Um, of course, there's the, the bluefin. And there's different, <clears throat> different stocks of bluefin. We have the southern bluefin tuna, which is we're more familiar with here. But you have uh, Atlantic tuna, uh, which is there's uh, both the East Atlantic um, and and the the Western Atlantic, which off the U.S. Uh, but in, that's, that's the bluefin tuna, um, the big eye tuna. You have big eye in all the different oceans. Uh, you have yellowfin in all the different oceans. Uh, you have skipjack and albacore in all the, all the oceans. Um, like I said, in the Indian Ocean, yellowfin is overfished and it, overfishing is going on. You know, if you're looking at a, a, a rating chart, it's in the red. Hmm. We're, we're very fortunate because of the Pacific Islands that all of our Western Central Pacific tuna stocks are healthy. They would be in the green. Um, so you can be assured, and, and it's because of the management that's going on. Um, and tuna, you know, they're, they, you can fish them hard, and they, they rebuild. Um, if if you, you just ease the pressure off a bit and they come back real quick, I mean, skipjack in particular, what you're going to find in most of your cans of tuna, I mean, it's, it's like cockroaches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really, uh, you fish as hard as you can and, yeah. and the scientists come back and say, well, I don't know. There seems to be more. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it sounds like an absolute logistical nightmare to bring, um, multiple countries, multiple interests, multiple waters together to any sort of consensus consensus to um to get any regulation on tuna that that just seems mind-boggling from the start well yes i mean so and and that's why you you need to have 
management in place before the tuna gets into a, a, an overfished state. Mm. And this is one of the things like with the MSC standard that, you know, that we look at, you know, are there harvest, harvest strategies in place? Are there harvest control rules in place so that, uh, you know, so that if the tuna goes down to a level, you know, it hits a trigger point and then we say, okay, we, we pull, we, we pull the trigger. Now here's our strategy to rebuild, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you, you do that and you got rules and, and, and controls in place. Um, you know, like you reduce the fishing effort or you limit the amount of catch and, and that's, that's all part of management. And so that, and that's what's so difficult to agree because nobody wants to reduce their catch. And when it's already in an overfished state, it's even harder to get people to agree to those. When, like, if, if I say to you, uh, you know, okay, you can have uh, 20 ice creams after, after dinner, and you might go, I'll oh. take them. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you, you go, okay. But if I, look, if I go in the freezer and I see there's one ice cream left, mm. and I go, oh, no ice cream for you tonight, man. <laughs> you're going to go, whoa, 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 whoa I, where's my 20 ice creams? Dude, this is working. This is devastating to me. That, that, that thought this is horrible. Oh, my God. Um. <laughs> yeah, so you, that's why you know, it's important to have these, these, this management in place mm. before you hit those, and it's not tuna, but any stock, before it gets down to that level. And so as consumers, like how, how do we identify what tuna we can be, can or should be buying? Yeah, well, it's, you know, unless you're really switched on, uh, you know, and, and you know, you, know, you, you read the, the can or you, you look at, you ask the fishmonger, wh- wh- where's that tuna from? Uh, you know, for us, I mean, the blue fish tick msc i gotta yeah. do a bit of a promo there yeah, but, no, no, 100%. Um, we'll talk about that in a sec too because we'll talk about some other things too. yeah because it uh you know it's that's a uh, an easy way to know that that fishery has been measured and has come up as sustainable uh, against a, a globally recognized standard mm. so which which tuna fisheries have the tick Oh wow! Which which, which tin is there? Lots. Be buying There's a lot. Maybe not tinned. So more so, sort of yellowfin and bluefin. I'm talking. Ah, uh, yeah. This is so the chef, the chef prized. Yeah. Sort of. Okay. Tunas. So depends on, depends on your work. Tuna, tuna in a tin might be chef prized for some people. Well, making a little sandwiches. I love tuna in a tin. It's great. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is that the most consumed tuna? Is is tinned? Would that would that be the case? Oh, yeah. I would say so. Yes, definitely. Like, yeah. Because there's there's more skipjack in the world than. Than cockroaches, yeah. <laughs> you don't want a cockroach in a can, though. Insects are the future of uh, yeah. protein. So. Um, but uh, and so and that's that's mainly what you're buying in a, a tin of tuna. Okay, um, yellowfin and and skipjack. Uh, but no, there's a lot. I mean, I would if you're in Japan, I would say no, not tin tuna. I'd say it's fresh tuna. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, eat, I mean, I eat a lot of. I I, I like going to the fishmonger and buying yellowfin um, mm. or albacore steaks. Um, and I, you know, I just buy my stuff fresh and, and the, we have, a so what fisheries are certified there's globally in, for tuna, there's, they're in every ocean. Um, yeah. Okay. So even in the Indian ocean, even though the, um, the yellowfin's in trouble, there's skipjack fisheries that over there that are certified as uh, MSC certified as sustainable in the Western central Pacific. We have long line fisheries. We have Persane fisheries. We have pole and line fisheries. Uh, these are all different fishing methods yeah, yeah. that are all certified. Um, and here in Australia, uh, the entire uh, eastern tuna billfish fishery is MSC certified. Uh, and I think that's a great story in itself. Mm, let's talk a bit about that. So tell us a bit about that eastern fishery. Yeah, so uh, six years ago, uh, there was a, a, a family, um, Pavo and Heidi Walker, in the Mulunava. And they wanted to you know, stand out and show that their, uh, their catches were, were sustainable. So they got MSC certified. And it was great for them. Uh, it still is great for them. Um, they uh, they opened new markets for their their, they, their swordfish, their yellowfin, and their albacore was all certified. It's a long line fishery. So was that their main their main product? Swordfish, albacore. Absolutely, yeah. So, th- so they're a long line fishing company, um, and based in Malulava. and then uh, and they were catching yeah albacore, yellowfin, swordfish. You know, depending on the, the season. We used to get some of that albacore. It still really stands out. I think a long time ago when I was working in hospitality, I remember the Mulubar al- albacore yeah. coming in. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's good. It, it, they're nice, big, mature fish. It, it's a it's a good, and it's it's actually one of the cuts of tuna that people don't 
don't buy that much. Um, mm. It's 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 white. It's more whiter and not red like yellow. Chicken of the sea. Yeah, chicken of the sea. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's cheaper. And I, I actually prefer. I like it. It's good for steaks. Yeah, mm. it's much cheaper too. Yeah, yeah much it's, cheaper. It's much cheaper than yellowfin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it started with them, and then uh, so the way the MSC standard works, our, our, our certific- certification is you're certified for five years, and every year you have an annual uh, surveillance audit to make sure that you know you're you're maintaining, you're doing the right stuff, you're keeping up with the conditions of your certification. So when they went for uh, reassessment to, to go for recertification, uh, they actually, a Tuna Australia, it's an association of the tuna fisheries, um, they took up the, the, the certification and became, um, became what we call the client um, as MSC certified. And so now it's, it's moved from just um, the Walker family in, in uh, Walker Seafoods in Malulaba to the entire eastern tuna billfish fishery, uh, and all the fishing companies uh, are certified. So it's now like 34-odd vessels. Um, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's not the southern bluefin tuna is not involved. Um, I'm sure they'd love to get that certified. Mm. Uh, and to me, it, it, the way it's rebuilding, it should be able one day. But I think, well, I don't think, I know, that it's classified. Oh, what is it classified? It's it's one of our endangered or protected species mm. here in Australia. National legislation. I'm not sure what it is. Mm. Mm. What what are the main <laughs> methods of um, how do how do people normally take the southern bluefin like in Australian waters? What's the well, catch the, method? So there's the the main one is the uh, the purseiners go head out of uh, South Australia out of Port Lincoln and and go put a uh, net around them and then they put them into cages towing cages and then they bring them into uh, south australia and they actually they, they ran we'd say ranching so right. they they feed them sardines uh which of course the south australian sardine fishery is certified as well as embassy certified mm. so they feed them sardines um, and then they they ship you know they take them as the market requires them but the east coast uh fishery uh, catches them on long lines yeah so they come up you know, they don't go all the way up to Queensland, but they, they come up to, to wherever the water temperature, and, and I think the line moves, AFMA moves the line up in north and south. Um, so there is some caught maybe 1,000 tons a year on, on long line. Mm. Uh, what, what makes its way to the market here would be probably some of the long line fish as well as some of the fish out of South Australia that, that's not destined for the, um, the export market. Mm. Mm. Cool. Let's talk about, you know, we don't have too too much longer to go, but let's talk about con- consumers as w- a, a bit more in terms of, you know, what like, what are some species people should be looking for? As you sort of mentioned before, people, you know, will go to the fishmonger and demand the salmon, demand the snapper, um, maybe flathead. Just it's mm. just what people are familiar with, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, are there some fisheries that sort of stand out here in Australia or globally that people should be on the lookout for or species like a skipjack, like a cockroach that, that, <laughs> that, that will just <laughs> always be always be sustainable in, and, and continues to be sustainable that are, that are better choices for people? Look, I'm not going to spruik one species over another, no. you know, <laughs> um, uh, other than tuna. All fish uh, are equal. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I just would say, you know, don't be afraid. Go in there and, and talk to your fishmonger and uh, and look for freshness, you know. Just uh, there's plenty of YouTube videos to, to tell you how, how fresh fish is. Mm. You know, if, if you don't know, don't be, just don't be afraid. And the more you get at it, the better you are. Um, you know, talk to people. Uh, it's easy to spot fresh fish from from not so fresh fish. Mm. Uh, I mean, anything you buy in in, a, in Australia is generally going to be sustainable. It's going to be good. Uh, you know, it's just the way that our, I guess, our supply chain works here in this country. Um, you, you don't you don't really have too much to worry about that it's going to be an, an unsustainable speed. You know, it's on its deathbed type yeah. of, of fish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's talk about supply chain too, then, because that's the second aspect of what MSC does that we haven't yet talked about. How do you guys go about certifying chain of custody and those sorts of things? Yeah. So uh, our chain of custody is for, is our standard for the supply chain, and that works for uh, t- so that people are assured. That, and it only works. You have to purchase initially from a certified fishery. 
So you know it's coming from a sustainable fishery, which yeah. MSC certified. But then every every link in the supply chain from the the first buyer, whether it be at the dock side or the or, or whether it be at auction or um, in, to the wholesaler, to the to the fishmonger, to the retailer, to the restauranter, uh, you know they all have to be MSC certified, and that is so that they have to have systems in place, traceability systems basically, where you know you're identifying that this is this species uh, and this is uh, from this fishery. And you're keeping it separate, so you're not throwing all the fillets in together with with you know mixing everything else. Uh, and and this is actually uh, you, you'll hear and, and you can read about a lot of uh, surveys or, or sampling that's being done globally about the n- amount of mislabeled fish. Uh, and and the yeah, Im- I've read a study about this. Yeah, there were some pretty bad examples of things being uh yeah, mislabeled. Yeah, whether it's it's done deliberately or or whether it's just through ignorance. Mm. Um, but I mean, deliberate. It's easy, you know. If I can, if I can sell you uh, some, I don't know, some cheap white fillet. White fillet. Yeah, I mean, people wouldn't know what most things uh, you know like. and i pay five dollars for it and i can turn around and, and sell it for 25 dollars because yeah. i'm calling it something else marinara mix yeah <laughs> um <laughs> you know it's yeah it, so what the msc what our chain of custody uh, standard does is one you're assured it's coming from a sustainable fishery but two you're also the the, the amount of um, mislabeling i mean we the msc has done um trace we do tracebacks we've done dna testing mm. And uh, I mean, yes, there are some incidences where uh, fish has been mislabeled and through, that we've discovered. Like we'll go and we'll we'll pull stuff off the shelves, and we'll we will send samples to the lab and have that tested to make sure that they what they are selling is what they say they are selling. Which mm. mm. is, is yeah, it's quite important because because consumer will be fairly ignorant to what fish look like and also. Fish get called by a lot of different names by different people in different countries a lot of time. Yeah. Like one of the first things I had to do when I moved here was literally learn just similar fish that are called different things and then learn all the new fish that were here. It was kind of like starting from, from the beginning um, of, of what, what we could source, what we could use, how to cook it. So it's, it's quite a lot of confusion there. So I imagine that can happen and the consumer wouldn't be particularly aware of it happening. Yeah, and particularly if you're looking at a restaurant, you know, you you've you've pretty much got to trust what mm. the owners are, are are telling you is the fish of the day. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, it, if it, particularly like a white fish, you know, how are you going to know? Mm. I mean, some like mahi mahi or tuna. You know, somebody says, oh, "I've got snapper," and it comes out, and I can see it's a tuna. I'm going to go, "Hey, wait a minute, guys." Yeah. Um, but uh, but maybe not. Then that's me. Uh, as uh, who knows fish, mm. maybe somebody else, you know, wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, the amount of things that are called cod. Oh, everything's a cod. I still don't think I have my head around all the different cods and, and mm. the differences being. Snappers are, snappers are a lot different yeah. what you hear in Australia as to what it is um, overseas as well. They're more sort of maybe in the emperor mangrove jack sort of family compared to the big red snapper we have here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, snapper's a, a, a good one. Again, I started snapper fishing in Tonga and yeah. it was a completely different snapper and there's a deep yeah. water snapper and there's a, a shallow water snapper and we, we used to export like 11 different species of snapper uh, and what, whatever they sold it for in the US what they called it I wouldn't have known back then you know in the yeah. 80s and yeah. 90s so um, but and the snapper we have here uh, compared say Northern Territory or Queensland they have the tropical snapper yeah. and a gold band snapper and stuff and that, that's to to me, that's a snapper. This is a snapper. Yeah. I mean, even as chefs, a lot of time you would just order, you'd be like, can I get five snapper for tomorrow, please? Like you wouldn't particularly have the information to specify mm. which one you want. And you kind of guess you, you tread, then, you, then you're trusting another step. You're trusting your fishmonger to, to get you something that is, that is correct and, and sustainable and good. So I think having that, you said having that, um, that traceability the whole way down the line, because everyone is relying on that last person to provide them with the right details, have accountability with that, um, put some some confidence in in you know, chefs and consumers and everyone else that they're getting the right thing. Mm. Yeah, I would say it's particularly for chefs, you know, having a good relationship with your fishmonger. Yeah, you know, because not only that, you know, you, you might say, "Oh, I want five snapper." And he'll say, oh, man, I've got, check out these flatheads I've got. You know, they're just like fresh off the boat. Yeah. And, uh, and if I, you know, uh, I don't run a restaurant, but I think if, if I was, 
or if I was a, a buyer for a restaurant, I would always be going, what do you got fresh? Yeah. And then I'd be telling my, my chef, this is going to be the special. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's definitely good to have a, a good relationship. I find the problem with uh, fishmongers is they're up um, far too early. <laughs> so when I get a text at 6 a.m. and they're like, oh, we've got this is looking great. I'm not in the mood to make a decision. Uh, <laughs> that time in the morning, when I probably haven't had much sleep yet. Why do they get up so early? Because of the markets, they're going to be there. Yeah, but why do the fish markets have to start at fucking well, yeah, two in the morning? Because well, they got like, to get delivery by... I mean, it would be better to do it like a day... If everyone could get their orders in 40 hours early, that would be probably better. They've right. got to get their orders out to some restaurants. So, you know, like we want our order by midday down in Shoalhaven and they're going to get the fish from Sydney. Right, okay. So they just got to start early, haven't they? Oh, like, I'd rather it was like, yeah, a day ahead and I could just chat to them in Yavo and be like, well, what are you, what are you going to the market for tonight? Yeah. See what they got. Yeah, no, I think fishermen... I, I mean, again, being an ex-fisherman, I still get up at four in the morning. It's just, and even though I'm getting up to go sit at my computer and read emails, you know, it's just, it's my habit. You it's know? built in now. I'm, I'm, I'm in bed by nine, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you still yeah. do a bit of, do you still fish recreationally and stuff, Bill? Uh, not really. I, no. I found when I first came here from Tonga, um, I found that when I went out fishing with guys, they expected me to do everything. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I got to, I got to put the hooks on, bait the hooks. Um, that's, what, that's that's my role a lot of the time. Sometimes when I take sort of amateur fishermen out on my boat, it's like I spend more time undoing tangles and yeah. getting snags off and yeah. showing people how to bait their hook and stuff like that than I do fishing and myself. God forbid you catch a fish because then you got to clean it. <laughs> yeah, well, you also like they kind of like once they get it to the boat, they don't know what to do with it. And you're like, yeah. all right. Here you go. I'll grab the fish. I'll take the hook out. I'll put it in the ice. And That's why I stick to cooking. Them. Yeah. So yeah, I I didn't, didn't come to Australia to be a deckhand. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. There you go. That's exactly right. I've actually had some of the best times on my boat just by myself with two lines in the water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree there. What um. Do you have do you have do you have personal like we're just talking about fish now because we're all fish mad but uh do you have some personal favorites of like fish that you like to source or like to eat um anything you've got a special affinity with I suppose tuna is one of them we've talked about yeah tuna. or have you eaten enough tuna that you're sick of it now I, hey look I eat fresh tuna I also I I'm not adverse to popping open a can of tuna and putting love, it on a sandwich at lunchtime mm. um but also you know I I, I like swordfish uh, you know. I mean, I, I just love fish and I love seafood. I love oysters, you know, I love mm. clams, cockles. Um, yeah, lobster, prawns. I, I love it all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you think that there's, I don't know, like some, you know, people who have a background in fishing and, and love fish and stuff, I always sort of make an analogy to to hunting where, I don't know, people who consume meat these days are sort of under the microscope a bit more Um you know, meat and seafood by people who choose not to eat meat or seafood and things like that. You know, there's like growing activism around around animal welfare and around sustainability and stuff. Some of it can be a little bit uh, misguided in terms of how much they're educated about things like sustainability. Um, but do you feel like there's some there's something about well, you know, you you can consume fish seafood and all that sort of stuff and because of your connection with it because you spent so long on the water and things like that you can you can still consume all these things but still have a really deep appreciation for it and it also makes like it almost makes you have more of an appreciation for it and a better understanding of these animals um when you consume them if you know what i mean it's like a more sustainable and ethical approach to consumption because of an understanding you know a, a lot of people would say well if you really appreciate these animals you just wouldn't eat them you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I've I actually came up against a campaigner when I first moved to Australia, and uh, when I explained uh, a notions campaigner, I'm not going to say what NGO, but when I explained that I was a, a fisherman, and they said, "Oh, it just it just got so down on me," basically saying every fish you take out of the water is another hole in the ocean. And I'm like, "What are you on about?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, I appreciate fish. Uh, yeah um I mean, again this is the whole people need to be aware people need to be knowledgeable you know you, you just you can't be afraid of, of you know you shouldn't be afraid of what stuff you don't know i guess um and i think that you know this is why my values really gel with the msc is because you know we do assessments we look at fisheries and we look and see you know are they sustainable and you know 
we can keep pulling the fish out of the water because, and, and I'm convinced and the science says that we can keep doing that. Mm. Uh, so th- to, to avoid fish, to not eat fish is, is the wrong attitude to have. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, um, I mean, the same as the, the meat industry, it's about eating better, um, being more knowledgeable about where you're buying from and what you're eating than cutting out altogether. Mm. Cause that, that's really not a, a global solution to anything to saying like nah, no more fish because you would ruin industries and communities and um and you know where, where are people going to replace these things in their diet from um so it, it's it's definitely about having organizations who can point people in the right direction um of how can you eat better yeah it's also like and we talked about this a little bit yesterday simon when we were sort of prepping was is is that recognition that you 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 aren't gonna stop people from consuming what they want to consume in this world that's just not how the world works like people want to eat their meat people want to eat their fish and the recognition that you're not going to stop them from doing so means that you go to the next step which is how can we help people and help industries and help you know consumers and distributors and chefs and all those sorts of things understand and make it easy for them to be able to make better decisions when they do consume these things which is yeah i mean fish is healthy and Mm. it's tasty i mean why would you want to avoid that yeah yeah i mean it's it's almost something that a lot of people don't eat fish at all in australia like the amount of people it's interesting who people who don't like seafood is that what you're saying yeah like probably probably close to as many vegans or vegetarians would have no seafood eaters mm, in really? my I didn't know that. An, in my anecdotal experience of, of running restaurants or close to they would have a lot especially in, especially in Wollongong um, I would think Australians living on the coast would be like you know huge this is what I thought I mean, it's, it's, I mean similar in the UK like in in south of England and Wales most, most of our seafood goes export to, to Europe to France and Spain and British don't eat that much seafood, even though it's a small island <laughs> with a large coastline. But um, yeah, some people just don't eat seafood when it's very good for you, and it's and it can be a sustainable resource. Mm. So maybe maybe a lot of people, especially some like people, are not. Nah, I'm a meat eater. I just <laughs> eat meat, but we need to actually eat more seafood and less meat to help sort of balance out their protein intake. Mm. Why? Why is that? You think that's because they're uneducated, or or maybe, maybe a, yeah, a bit of un- uneducated, a bit of. Um, Possibly down to when you couldn't get fresh seafood. People have that, oh, that, that yeah. scaredness of like sea, like of like fishy fish. Right. Like where people were like, "What? What's is it?" Like the question we'd get asked quite often would be like, especially if we had some slightly different fish on that people hadn't seen or heard of. Would be like, "Is it a fishy fish?" <laughs> and it's like, "What the fuck do you mean?" <laughs> like, yes, it's a fish. Like, like, but generally they were asking. It, like is it a smelly fish so i think that kind of leads me to say that a lot of people's bad experiences have come from bad quality and not fresh fish where it, it's it's been close to being off and that's put people off so i think a lot of it might have been um why people have an aversion to seafood um would be bad experience or quality or even even bad experiences from you know from family members and they never ate fish because you know fish is fish is yuck or fish is gross um I wonder, yeah, I wonder if it's like a cultural thing here in Australia as well, because this might be completely incorrect, but the people that I'm thinking of who say, I don't like fish or I don't like prawns or I don't like seafood are, you know, like a couple of generations Aussie, if you know what I mean. Like me having a Mediterranean background and people that I know that sort of have a bit of ethnicity wherever it might be that are usually the ones that are a bit more adventurous in in the food that they eat and stuff Mm. like that, but... I know that like the, you know, the old, like an old, old school Australian family, the, the classic is just the meat and meat and three veg sort of thing. You know, you just have a piece of lamb, a piece of beef and put some sausages and that was like on rotation all week. prawns, that'd be it. Cook prawns Mm, on a special occasion. You'd be fine with that. Yeah. The people from Wales, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the people I mean, like, originally yeah. from Wales. Wales. If you don't have cod, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, so the UK's pretty bad with it as well. Like, I think it comes from a weird sort of um, Christian background of not eating, or Protestant background, of not eating fish on certain days, and it was a oh, yeah. sin to eat fish on Fridays or every other day ended in a Y or something like that. So there's some, there's some weird, it's weird inbuilt guilt things in the, in the UK, I think, about it. I think it's a, I don't know, there's probably a, a number of different factors, right? Like, I think that a lot of people just like, 
fish look weird and they're like they're slimy and they've yeah. got like yeah. small bones and scales and things like that as well and it's just like a yeah, bit of an ick factor for some people well, i think that starts as a as a child i know mm. even, even my son yes what are we having for dinner dad i'm we're having fish again are there bones in it <laughs> <laughs> again yeah, yeah. <laughs> again. um which is why swordfish and tuna is so good because yeah, there's, well, there's yeah, no yeah. bones, yes, like, like well, the bones. no bones when you're getting a nice loin or mm. a, a steak or something but uh, like I, I love baking whole fish um and really he just he, once he sees a whole fish come out of the oven he's just the dread on his face like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i guess like yeah, people people just get used to fish and chips as a starting point as well, and yeah. that's like just soft, sweet white meat yeah, with no bones, covered yeah. in like deep fried batter, yeah. which is yeah. pretty approachable <laughs> when it comes yeah. to fish. You know, if you can't down some fish and chips, like you probably mm. don't like a lot of stuff. Mm. All right, well, I don't know if we use this to finish off, but I, I kind of your position as a global outreach guy here at MSC. Um, how do you see, you know, how do you see seafood sustainability on a global level? Because as we mentioned, we've got a lot of neighbours, very populous neighbours. Um, and and then we also briefly mentioned high seas, um, which, you know, don't have the same amount of regulation. And I'm assuming maybe there's not the same level of science going on, like right in the middle of the Pacific as there is inshore. Or? Yeah, so uh, like there is the same level of science, but the thing is they're lacking the data. Right. You know, what you get from a lot of subsistence fisheries are artisanal fisheries up through Asia, um, and, you know, small scale. And is it you got you got guys coming, you know, one or two guys on a boat going out for half a day coming in. You know they're they're eating half of their catch and they're they're sharing or they're trading or they're selling a little bit and there's no data on that mm. um, and that's that's what makes those fisheries more difficult to manage is that lack of data um, and so you know on a global level how are fisheries going and, and you know th- th- there's a lot of profits of doom out there that you know we're, there's gonna be no fish by 2040 and, and 2050 or whenever but y- you can't. You can't make a generalization about fish. Um, you know, yeah, there's areas where it's overfished and overfishing is going on, and you can't do anything to stop it because the, the the governments don't have the resources. But then there's other areas where you know the fish stocks are most areas actually where the fish stocks are healthy. Mm. So you can't make a global generalization about you know well, we're going to run out of fish or we're going to have fish forever. You have to look at it region by region. Um, which is why I say, you know, I think Australia's got the right mix of the amount of fish that we catch and the way the fisheries are managed here. Uh, and I think Australians have really you know, no need to worry about the, the fish that's being sold to them because um, it's, you know, it's definitely going to be coming from a sustainable co- um, source. Mm. I mean, that, that's, that's great to know for, um, for, for everyone in Australia, buying seafood really, that you, um, it's hopefully harder to go, to go wrong. Um, it's going to get get something right. Mm. Yeah, no, it's you know, I think consumers in Australia need to to definitely feel safe and educate yourself about fish. Mm. Um, and you know, you talked about the quality. Is it fishy fish? And you know, learn how to buy good fish. You mm. know, and you know, if you've got a local fishmonger, you know, even if you're going into into the, one of the, the supermarkets, you know, they usually have fish counters there, and, and you know. The, those the people behind that staff those fish counters are trained in seafood um just like you know behind the meat counter they're trained in meat so th- they're trained to know what they're selling um they're trained to, to know you know this is good you know mm. ask questions that that you know so many of these conversations we have always come back to communication with the people that sell you your food yeah pretty much you know, like figure <laughs> out figure out who, who it is that sells yeah. you your food if you can get the name of the person that mm. sells you your food that's even yeah. better and start yeah. a relationship so with the them. on the msc website is there a list um of uh, suppliers and producers or is there a, where, where is this information accessible oh yeah so the msc we do have uh we do have lists um you know pick a supplier type of list so you mm-hmm. can find out uh you go because we're a global organization but we have a regional website as well for msc uh and it, it would it be able you can just put in what species you're looking for and you can find um, suppliers in your area. Uh, And you can also, if you wish to look further, you can see where that fishery came and where that fish came from. We have a track of fishery page on our Mm. website. 
So if you wanted to read a bunch of documents and reports and stuff, you can find out how sustainable the fishery is. <laughs> um, but I, I don't, you know, I think it's pretty rare that consumers are going to do that. I think it, you know, that's why, you know, the blue fish tick, uh, if you see that on a product, you can be assured that um, it's from a sustainable fishery and it's gone through a supply chain that has full traceability back to that fishery. Um, and yeah, so you can purchase that with the, uh, with no bad feelings. Mm. Look for the tick. Yeah. Perfect. The blue tick, yeah. All right, cool. Um, we won't leave it there. Let's. I'll give you the opportunity to, if there's anything else that you wanted to flag for our listeners. I mean, we, we there's a lot of chefs that listen to this podcast, but then also a lot of people that are really interested in food. I guess we just said look for the blue tick then, but is there anything else you wanted to mention while you've, while you've got a platform, Bill? <sighs> Have a nice day. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, uh, I'm generally, I'm very positive in life. So that's why I'm positive about uh, the way the fisheries are looking. Mm. I'm positive here in Australia, um, globally. I know there's challenges, but I just, you know, I'm just, I, I think, you know, eating fish is the right thing to do. It's like I said earlier, it's healthy. It's tasty. Um, don't be afraid. Uh, and, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. That's awesome. It. Great. Sounds good. Bill, thank you so much for having us here. It's a beautiful spot here in Cronulla. We're overlooking Port Hacking right now. You can see Bundina across the way. Not a bad little office you got. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you very much for coming and stopping by. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.